So today we're going to start with a couple of definitions, uh, a couple of definitions that I believe are imperative um, to understanding the scripture that we're going to walk through this morning. Um, communication is extremely important. I know we have a lot of teachers here in the crowd this morning, and so they're going to appreciate this part. That, so um, according to Vine's Dictionary, uh, two words that we're going to look at first thing this morning are belief, to believe, and faith. So that way we can understand the context of today's message. So to believe, to be persuaded of, to place confidence in, to trust, reliance upon, not mere credence. Belief is used in the Gospels um, a number of times. In Matthew, it's going to be used 10 times, Mark 10, Luke 9. Repetition usually means importance, right? In the Gospel of John, which we will be today, 99 times belief is used as a verb, as in an action. Faith. A firm conviction producing a Acknowledgement of God's revelation and truth. A conduct inspired by such surrender. Many times we use these two terms synonymously. We interchange them. But it's clear that they both have a distinct definition and they mean something different. Both of which inspire an action, right? One is something that we do. The other one is because of what we do. It develops. It is exposed. It happens. If you would turn with me to the Gospel of John, we're going to be in the 14th chapter. A little background about John. It is one of the four Gospels most of us know. Um, It is written anonymously. Most people agree that it is written by the disciple John, who is the brother of James and also referred to as one of the sons of thunder. Um, by Jesus, by the way. Um, we don't know exactly who the people group is that he wrote this specifically to. He could have wrote it more anonymously just to everyone. Um, later on in the book, um, he surmises that the reason for this writing is so that everyone would come to understand who Jesus is and that they would believe. Uh, if you have a red letter Bible, most of this, uh, these scriptures are going to be in red Um, which I was always taught that that means they're important, right? That's what Jesus is saying. So to set the stage, chapter 14, um, this is towards the end of Jesus' ministry. Um, Most of us refer to this as the Last Supper. And um, here at the Last Supper, there were a lot of things that that took place. Um, Jesus has given his disciples kind of a, a reminder, a crash course, of the things that have transpired, what they have witnessed, what he has taught them up to this point, right? Um, I could imagine sitting there as as one of the 12 and listening to your teacher and going, okay, yep, I remember that. Okay, well, I didn't struggle with that one, but this guy did. Okay, yep, and you're listening to all these key points and these things that he taught, right? So they're getting this reminder and they're getting this, um, there's this lengthy conversation here. And then Jesus says, um, he drops a couple of mood killers on him. And he goes, no, by the way, I'm not going to be here for, for much longer. Hmm, okay. 
He predicts and he tells them of the betrayal that's to come, one of the twelve. You know, that was a shocker for the group, right? What do you mean? One of us that have lived with you and traveled with you and listened to you and one of us is going to betray you? Okay. Um, He reminds them of his death to come. And um, then he gives them a new commandment. He says, here's something new. What he tells them is not... What he tells them is new, but he's only explaining what he has shown him, what he has shown them through his ministry. John 13, 34, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Peter is like, wait a minute. You said you weren't going to be here for much longer. You know, I will lay my life down for you. This is when Jesus tells him that, well, you're going to deny me. You're going to deny me. This will come to play in, in, in a few minutes in the, in the illustration for application, but let's go ahead and look at chapter 14, 11 through 14. And I think we have that to go up on the screen. Yes, maybe. Okay. If y'all would, read with me. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So, Jesus is having this conversation with the disciples. It appears on the surface level that he's specifically speaking to those 12. If you skip down a few verses, 22 through 27, um, you can actually see that Judas, not Iscariot, not the traitor, a different Judas, um, clarifies with a question to Jesus. And he says, Jesus, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus replies, if anyone loves me, anyone, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not keep my words and the words that and the words that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So Jesus clearly lays it out for the disciples. I'm speaking to you, but I'm talking about all believers, right? Here's where that word comes in, believers. Those that believe So Jesus clarifies that for Judas and the, and the disciples there. Um, the other authors of the Gospels, you see that again in uh, Matthew 18, 19 through 20, John 17, 20 through 21, John 14, 22 through 27. 
So it's all believers. So there's not an exemption for those that are not leaders or pastors or elders or small group leaders or deacons. There is no exemption. There's no qualification there. He's saying all believers, all that believe that God is who he says he is and he is what he says he is and who Christ is. So we're all called to do good works and to bear fruit. Many of us would be familiar with the, um, the Great Commission, right? In Matthew. So Jesus says, if you love me, you will do the things that I did. You will say the things. You will teach the things that I taught you. John 15, 16 through 17. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in the Father in my name, he will give it to you. These things I command you that you will love one another. <clears throat> I don't know about you, but um, the whole command thing, that doesn't appear to be a suggestion, right? So this appears to be a huge responsibility. Jesus is saying, say the things that I say, teach the things that I taught you, do the things that I did. He tells them again, again, the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, all right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe what I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus calls all believers to act in love and to obey. So what exactly did Jesus do? Well, Jesus evangelized. We see that in John 3, 1 through 21. John 4, 43 through 45. He loved. He showed love through service and through teaching. He discipled. Example, John 3, 1 through 21. So how, how exactly did he do these things? A great example of how he did these things um, that I like in John is where he is interacting with the Samaritan woman at the well, right? So the evidence there in, in John it, um, is plain to see that there was a, a long conversation, more so than we have. We have a very short excerpt of that conversation. But in the end, she's saying, you have told me everything that I have done. We read in the scripture, and it's, the main point is talking about where Jesus calls her out and says, well, you're not married. The man that you were with is not your husband. There's a good chance that's probably not the only thing that she's ever done, right? Um, so the evidence suggests that there was a, a lengthy conversation. So he listened. He rebuked in love. He taught. He served many by healing, both inside and out. In John 2, you'll see that Jesus turns the water to wine. He heals the royal official's son in John 4. Here's the paralytic at the pool in John 5. Feeds the 5,000 with the fish and the loaves in John 6. Walks on water in John 6. 
He was the man that is born blind in John 9. And he raises Lazarus from the dead, John 11. So, so he, Jesus lived the example. We see this throughout John, throughout the Gospels themselves. And he lived in community with his disciples. Examples of this would be in John 1, 35-42, John 2, John 6, John 2, John 11, 1-44. Jesus also divinely fulfilled the prophecies that were foretold. These are referred to in John, John 1, 1 through 14, 15, 20 through 12 through 25, 4, 25, John 19, 17 through 42, and John 21 through 19, excuse me, 18. He exercised his authority given to him by the Father. Jesus explains where he comes from and that his actions are not his own and that his words are not his own. He divinely gave himself as a sacrificial lamb. He took sin upon himself. He died on the cross, an atoning death for the sins of the world. He died on the cross. He conquered death by raising again on the third day. So what did Jesus teach? I mean, he did a lot, right? But every time he did something, he also had something to say about what was going on and what was happening. Jesus taught that he was the bread of life, that he was God incarnate, John 8, that he was the resurrection and the life in chapter 11, and that he was the Son of God in chapter 10. Throughout the Gospels, you can see where he says that he was sent by God to accomplish work that was given to him. And that no one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless they have been born again. And that he, Jesus, must die in order to save all that believe in him. So that they will have eternal life. So salvation through Jesus Christ, right? We see examples of salvation through Jesus Christ in John 14, John 12, John 11, John 10, John 8. Um, Pretty much Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? Yeah. Salvation through Jesus Christ is those that love him. Should love others. It's that belief, it's that action, that, that belief in his name, that he is who he says he is. That action does something. It should do something. The definition of belief is important because it's not an agreement of a position. It is not, hey, that's a good thing. I, I think I'll jump on that bandwagon and I'll agree with that until I decide something else that's a bit more selfish or something else that meets my agenda. Belief is an, is an, is an earnest investment in absolute truth that he is who he says he is. And that action should result in something. What is that something? That something is faith. It should produce something. Jesus shows us that we should serve one another in humility in John 3, excuse me, 13, 3 through 17. 
that we should disciple others, and that we should be discipled. If you're familiar with John 13, 3 through 17, this is where Jesus, he washes the feet of the disciples. He's given them an example. What better example than to humble yourself to the absolute lowest position, to lowest stature, and wash the feet of someone who is following you, trying to learn from you, setting that example of humility and love. So, salvation um, is because of our belief. Our belief should produce faith, right? It should be doing something. So, I think it's important to understand our identity, both pre and post salvation. So, before Jesus, we're doing it on our own, right? Jesus says that if you, if you love me, you're going to do these things. If you believe in me, you're going to do these things. You're going to do what I did. You're going to love people. You're going to serve each other. You're going to disciple one another, okay? Post-salvation, because we love him, because we believe in him, he becomes a part of us. So now we are in community, right? So these, these large orders of responsibility that we have, we're not to carry them out alone, but we do have a vital, important role, which goes all the way back to creation, right? That partnership. When God created man, he made a reflection of himself, and he's like, this is good, and this is how we're going to live in community. This brings us back into that unity with Christ. John 15, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am in the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Keep my commandments. You will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Again in 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another, as I have loved you. And then down to 14. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know his, what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name he may give to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. <clears throat> so a little recap. Jesus calls all that believe, right, to teach 
his lessons, to teach what he taught, to do what he did, right? But because of our belief, we are in unity with him, so it's not upon our shoulders to fulfill it completely, right? We are working in unity with him. During that time, the Last Supper, remember we talked about Peter, and he says, Jesus, I will die for you. What do you mean? You're not going to be here much longer. And he says, well, you're going to betray me. An example of application of this faith and, and what, what it is that we should do and how we should move forward with this belief and utilize this gift that we have been given. Peter is a great example of that application. In Luke twenty two thirty two, Jesus tells, says, But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail, and that when you have returned to me, strengthen your brothers. Strengthen your brothers. So this implies, and this is a reminder, that, that Peter will turn away from Jesus. But then he will come back. And that Jesus prayed for him and then instructs him. Strengthen your brothers. Continue my ministry. Everyone always quotes the Proverbs, iron sharpens iron, right? Well, 27.17, the next portion of that is iron sharpens iron. And so a man sharpens his brother. John shows the example also um, with the story of Peter in chapter 21, 15 through 17. Jesus says, Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, he asked him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. Jesus says, take care of my sheep. Third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because he was asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus instructs him, then feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. <clears throat> the disciples would have understood the context and the illustration of the shepherd. For those that are um, don't know, a lamb is a baby sheep. There are people out there that don't know this. I want to be clear. And you treat a baby lamb... You treat a, a lamb differently than you treat a full-grown sheep. A lamb needs to be nurtured. It needs to be looked after. It drinks milk. Um, it needs different nourishment than a full-grown sheep needs. 
it is cared for in a more nurturing and more intimate way. Especially if it doesn't have a mama, if it's, a, if it's been abandoned or um, whatever. So he instructs Peter to feed his lambs. Feed my lambs. Evangelize. Continue this ministry. The second time, he says, take care of my sheep. Love and serve. Take care of the needs of my flock. And then lastly, he says, feed my sheep that I have. Disciple. Disciple. Now, again, this conversation that he's having with the 12 is not just for the 12, right? He was clear when he said, this is for all that believe. All believers. All believers. So if he's talking to all believers, and he's giving an illustration to the 12, and he's saying this conversation is for all, he's saying we need to evangelize, we need to love and serve, and we need to disciple. So if we're all discipling, that means that we should all be getting discipled, right? Right? So we should be loving and serving one another, discipling one another, and evangelizing one another. So let me ask you today. Are you producing good fruit? Are you producing good fruit? Are you producing fruit at all? Does your belief produce an action? Do you believe that Christ is who he says he is? That he is the truth and the light and he is the only way? Or do you merely agree with his position? Because I got news for you. A lot of times, an agreement is like being in that neutral zone, right? You don't want to cause any waves. You're like, yeah, okay. All right. I'll I'll agree. I'll agree to disagree. I'll, whatever, I'm going to play neutral, right? Belief, having that investment in that truth, that conviction. It's a reoccurring action. That is something that we do. We do that, and the more we do that, it should produce something. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll ask you, evaluate yourself. Look at your life. Look at the conversations you're having. Look at the relationships that you have. Are we believing? Or are we saying that we're in agreement with? If you would like to know where you are on that spectrum, ask somebody. Ask somebody. They'll tell you. Ask somebody you trust, probably, would be a great thing. And then I'll give you those that get asked, word of caution. Um, You might want to um, sharpen up on the word, be in the word, so that way you can speak in love. Okay? So ask somebody. Evaluate yourself. Have these conversations. Speak 
in truth, speak in love. James 1, 19 through 27. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive the meekness, the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Be the doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For anyone is a hearer of the word, is not a doer. He is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. But the one who looks into perfect law, the law of liberty and perseverance, perseveres, being on here who forgets, but a doer who acts, will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Faith at work. What does your service look like? Are you serving? Are you having discipleship conversations with one another? Are you evangelizing one another? Jesus knew the position of the disciples' hearts and everyone that he came into contact with. He knew the position of their heart and where their belief and where their faith lied. We do not have that luxury, ladies and gentlemen. And even with knowing the position of their heart and what they believed, he still evangelized. He still told them who he was, even though he revealed who he was. Right? We should be evangelizing. We should be loving through service, which should be a result of our belief and our faith. We should be discipling one another. We need to be having these gospel conversations, right? Study and show thyself approved. What better way than we're having these conversations? How many times are conversations avoided because, oh, well, I'm sorry, you're, you're Methodist and I'm Baptist and we, you know, we can't talk about the scripture because we may have a different view on something. I'm sorry. I didn't find that in here. I didn't find it. The world that we live in now in the society is not doing something new. The errors of division and the wedges that are being driven into the church and into God's people are nothing new. That is something that's been transpiring since the beginning. It may look new. 
It may be a new tactic. It may be a new language. It may be a new definition to an old term. I'm sorry. That's why it's important that we understand what definition we're using when we're having a conversation. Right? It is imperative that we have these conversations, that we sharpen one another, that we grow one another, and that the church, the body, the church, right, be the church. Now, I'm not talking about church on the way in the congregation. I mean the church, right? How many times have y'all had somebody go, the church, or the church, right? Now, if I, if I didn't have no arms, you would think I'm talking about the same thing, <laughs> right? You know, it's, it, it's terrible that we have to clarify those terms whenever they're used synonymously improperly. I love this body. I love this congregation. I love the church. So let me give you an example of application to help with some of these conversations. Try this. The next time somebody says, what church do you go to? Everybody's been asked that question, right? Yeah? So the thing that comes to mind is, oh, I go to church on the way. Or, oh, I go to First Baptist. Or, oh, I got to... Because we're answering what we think they mean. I got news for you. They may not know why they're asking the question. They may be inspired to ask the question. But if we simply try to answer what we think they mean, we have just closed down the conversation. I go to church on the way. What about... What church do you go to? I belong to the church that was established by Jesus Christ. Would you like to talk about it? Or when they go, nobody's ever said that to me before. What does that mean? Door wide open, guys. Door wide open, right? We're having that conversation. We're having that conversation. We're going to pray here in just a minute. And then we're going to have communion. The Last Supper. We get a lot of things from the conversation and the actions that transpired during the Last Supper. There's a lot of meaning and significance with the events and the conversations that took place. We reenact, we symbolize what Jesus did on the cross for us. His ultimate act of love and sacrifice. To bring a rebellious creation back into the fold in unity with Christ. I would encourage you to go through the gospel and study the Last Supper and look for the significance in the things that we do um, as a result and a reflection of that. If you would, let's pray, and then we will have communion.
Heavenly Father, God, we just we come to you today and we give you praise for the opportunity to currently live in a place that we are able to worship and praise you openly and freely in public. God, that we are allowed and free to have these open gospel conversations no matter where we are. God, that we are provided a community of believers and that you have created an order of believers and a unity through the church, through your Holy Spirit, and through our faith and belief in Jesus Christ. God, we just come to you today and we give you praise for this opportunity. God, I just ask that each one listening and each one here, that they would seek your truth, that they would seek to be evangelized, that they would evangelize others, that they would look for service opportunities to continue your ministry, to grow your kingdom, and that we would find that urge and that need for discipleship, to, to be discipled and to disciple others, that you would be glorified. God, we thank you for the gift of your body and your blood, for salvation, for bringing us back into unity. In Christ Jesus we pray.